It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Hopefully this all sounds a little bit more normal now that I'm back on uh, my preferred board <laughs> that was not working correctly yesterday. But anyway, that's a whole different story. If you're interested, you can uh, actually, by the way, I can tell you what it was, because after the show was over yesterday, I uh, went in and did some detectiving and I detectived that the update from Microsoft on their operating system completely broke the real tech audio driver on my computer that HP uses on all of their uh, laptops and that was broken so once i figured that out and i disabled it then uh disabled the driver and then just used the driver on the mixing board then all of the microphones worked again so i'm not sure how they broke it or why they broke it I'm not even sure they're aware they broke it but i am and i fixed it so i guess i won't be firing my it and engineering department just yet i mean i will say they do work cheap so uh there is that want to thank some of the patrons of the program. They allow me to hire that kind of staff like that. Mary and Eric, uh, Peggy, Tavis, Kristen, Beth and Al, Kim, Brian and David. Thanks so much for the support. I could not do the show without you, uh, like literally. And uh, they became patrons to the program. And you can as well just by going to thepetecalendarshow.com. Click the link that's up at the top. Become a patron. You get cool stuff. Exclusive content like the live stream. It's going to be on Thursday. Uh, so looking forward to that and catching up with everybody. What else? Oh, today's show is presented by Growers Hemp. And uh, I take Growers Hemp CBD oil. And I take a couple drops before I go to bed. Uh, full disclosure, some days I'm not as good at remembering to do so. And last night was one of those nights, and I can tell. I could tell uh, because I woke up like four or five times last night. And I only slept for like six hours. So I don't even know. Did I get any good REM sleep? I'm not sure. It's like that's like that's the difference it makes for me. So what are you looking for? A better quality of life? A balanced state of mind? Positive mental outlook? Maybe immune system resilience? Lower tension? Add the natural alternative Growers Hemp Full Spectrum Hemp Extract to your daily routine. Uh, and uh, if you go to their website, type in my name, Pete, you'll get 20% off. Go to growershemp.com. These are North Carolina farmers, and uh, they are east of Charlotte, and they work with North Carolina, uh, you know, other North Carolina farmers. They control the whole process from seed to shelf, which means higher quality for you and more affordable prices. Uh, well, also for you. And uh, and they provide a, a living for their family, for the family farm. So it's a win-win, win-win-win all around. As with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer that GovCo requires me to say. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Go to growershemp.com and uh, type in the promo code Pete on checkout and you'll get 20% off. From North Carolina farmers to your home, Growers Hemp, it is about the hemp and not the hype here, people. 
Okay, so here is the story that Governor Roy Cooper and his communications team wanted to tell us the administration's plan to receive and distribute the coronavirus vaccine uh, in the coming weeks was that story. This was at yesterday's COVID briefing. And naturally, that's the story that the North Carolina media was eager to relay. And look, I'm not saying this as an insult. Sometimes it is a vital duty of the media to relay information like this to the public because they're they're trying to get the government is trying to get the word out about how the uh, distribution of the vaccine is going to work. And look, you may not care about this. You may not want the vaccine. You may not want to get it. Uh, And if they offer it to you, you're like, "Ah, I'm not going to ever take a vaccine. And I understand that. I understand that position. Um, I'm going to do more research on the vaccine. And, the uh, you know, there are going to be people that are going way before me. So I'm going to assume that whatever kinds of problems they may exhibit early on, uh, you know, I would have the access to that information. I am not an anti-vaxxer. So uh, if the vaccine comes down and it finally makes its way to me, like in 2028 or something, <laughs> then, uh, and I'm still alive by then. Well, we'll see. So, um, you know, I, I anticipate that I would take it. I do not object to the idea of a vaccine. I don't object so far to the development of the vaccine. And when I start seeing other people taking it uh, and seeing how they react to it and uh, and its effectiveness, then I may take it as well. So there's still a lot of ifs there, but right now my default position is not no. And so that being said, there are a lot of people, though, that are very, very um, uh, eager to get the vaccine, right? There are a lot of people that are waiting on this and, and, and will take it as soon as they possibly can. And it's important for the, you know, 10 and a half million North Carolinians to have an idea of how the vaccine is going to get distributed. Now, this is interesting um, because we're just one state and I'm wondering how are they going to do this like state to state to state? What about people on the border? Like what if uh, you're really wanting a vaccine and, uh, you know, South Carolina has way more than North Carolina or Tennessee or whatever, Uh, you know, what's to prevent people from border hopping and going and get one in a state that may have more doses. I'm not sure. North Carolina is going to get about uh, 40. Well, they're getting vaccines like 85,000 vaccines, but the or doses, but everybody who gets the vaccine has to do two doses and you got to do it three weeks apart. So 85,000 doses is vaccines for, you know, 43,000 or whatever it is, uh, half of that. that many people it's like 42,000 people so uh, something to keep in mind in all of this and again 10 and a half million North Carolinians so Governor Cooper comes out and he says cases are rising and he says we are monitoring the data probably also the science and the facts I mean just if you know history is any indication that's what they're all about over there Uh, he then you know told everybody do the three W's I, I, I lost track I try to keep track I live tweet these COVID briefings um, I watch so you don't have to. And I'm down to, I only have two sound bites today. So heads up, trigger warning. There's going to be two sound bites I play from yesterday's briefing. One is from Governor Cooper and one is from Andy Cohen, the North Carolina Health and Human Services Director. Trigger warning. I don't want people 
to be upset, <laughs> fall to pieces when they hear Cooper's voice. Like, really, it's like, after nine months or whatever of this, there are a lot of people that are just fed up with hearing Governor Cooper. So, and I, and Mandy Cohen, and I get it. So, the three W's, they are always hammering that at every one of these press briefings. Uh, and some of it is, you know, message uh, rep- uh, repetition in order to drill it into people's minds. Part of it is also, though, you know, a verbal crutch. Okay. And when you're public speaking and you're doing the same press conference basically every single week for now, you know, nine months, 10 months, whatever it's been. Uh, you you tend to have certain things that you kind of fall back on when you're trying to tap dance away from an answer you don't want to give. <laughs> if you're trying to fill some time, then uh, the three W's is just it's an easy one for them to come back to. They can uh, they can hit it you know quickly. They can do it in like ten fifteen seconds. They can do it in like thirty seconds to a minute. They can use it to fill time. I digress. Um, He says he has newfound hope, the governor does, has newfound hope in the vaccines. He said they should be available soon, and our job will be to get them to people quickly. Uh, He says our Health and Human Services Department has or uh, agency has been uh, working on a distribution plan. And he says we're going to get the Pfizer vaccine, uh, which needs ultra cold storage. Okay, I'm not sure if. Like, it seems to me like there are a bunch of other states that could probably do ultra cold storage. Like, I'm thinking the Dakotas right off the top of my head. They get pretty cold. Um, Anyway, he says the vaccine will be free. There will be uh, free vaccines given out to people who can't afford them. There will be vaccines, I think, uh, through insurance providers and that sort of thing. Uh, We shall see. I'm kind of interested to see how that shakes out. Um but I'm cautiously optimistic. First off, yes, I know there's nothing free. They're, the 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 manufacturers of the vaccines are going to be getting paid by the federal government under that Operation Warp Speed that the evil Donald Trump, who wants everybody to die from COVID, uh, set up. Right. Which, by the way, do you think he'll get credit historic? Like when history writes the the final chapter on that, do you think he gets credit for? <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't even get through the whole sentence. Yeah, no. Uh, Health workers, they're going to get it first. They're going to get the vaccines first, the health workers. Um, He says, I have confidence in this process. And he says, and when it's my turn to get the vaccine, he says uh, he's going to uh, he's going to do so. So here is Governor Cooper. Trigger warning uh, from yesterday. And, And when it comes to determining safety before the FDA will authorize these vaccines, an independent advisory board will review the data for safety. This advisory board has no loyalties to any company, political administration, or individual. The board, the board exists to review the vaccine trials independently. I have confidence in this process. Healthcare workers, people in long-term care, and those at risk for civil, severe illness will come first. But when it's my turn to get this vaccine, I'll be ready to roll up my sleeve. All right. So why is he talking about the confidence he has in the process and how he's going to get a vaccine? And this advisory board uh, is, you know, beholden to no special interests or politicians. What, What is that about? Can you guess? He's not talking to conservatives. Just heads up. He's he he's not talking to conservatives. He's talking to his base. He's talking to progressives and liberals, Democrats, 
who have expressed hesitancy to take a vaccine because of Donald Trump. So I find this very interesting. This is never pointed out, by the way, in any of the coverage of this. There's, uh, But th- this is what's going on. There are a lot of people on the left that are afraid to get the vaccine, although they want one, but they're afraid to get it because of Trump. So while you hear all of the the, the mocking and the ridicule and the scolding over, you know, Donald Trump's wild conspiracy theories and all this other stuff. There's never any mind or attention paid to this conspiracy theory that somehow Donald Trump has corrupted these pharmaceutical companies into giving out fake vaccines or something. So that's what Cooper is trying to assure people of uh, in that statement. And um, I have the advisory committee here. I have their their. Uh, recommendations. It's called the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. Um, This is from the CDC website, and they list three areas, the goals for vaccination if supply is limited. And look, supply is going to be limited immediately, right? You're trying to crank out all of these vaccines, all these doses, and you're having to do it for the entire population of the planet, basically, right? Billions of doses. Um, So the goals, they say, if the supply is limited, number one, decrease death and serious disease as much as possible. Two, preserve functioning of society. Three, reduce the extra burden the disease is having on people already facing disparities because we got to have the social justice component. (laughs) It wouldn't be 2020 if we didn't have a social justice component here. So how is this going to work out? Now, I'm wondering how many people start hearing this and people who were initially uh, anti-vaccine and they don't want one, but now they start hearing that some uh, specific populations are going to be getting it first because of, you know, social justice reasons or something. And I wonder how many of these people now start saying, well, wait a minute, I should get a vaccine first then. Like, do they do their opinions change (laughs) whether they want the vaccine based on who else is getting it first and why that other person is getting it first. There is a real thing. It's called FOMO, fear of missing out. It is real. That's what social media companies rely on. News organizations as well. People who are afraid that they're missing out on something or a trend or knowledge or whatever. And and this might be a life-saving vaccine. There is a real thing, the fear of missing out. It's what... um. And, you know, panics are about, short, you know, due to shortages. Let me look at the toilet paper runs. Okay, that's actually not a very good combination of words there. Let me just move on. Uh, the fourth uh, goal for the vaccine is increase the chance for everybody to enjoy health and well-being. Okay, so those are the four goals. The ethical principles that they have, they got four of these. They've identified four ethical principles to guide their decision-making process if supply is limited. Number one, maximize benefits and minimize harms. Okay, well, I'm on board with that. Maximize benefits, minimize harm. Respect and care for people using uh, the best available data to promote public health and minimize uh, death and severe illness. All right, maximize benefits, minimize harms. Number two, mitigate health inequities. Huh. Reduce health disparities in the burden of COVID-19 disease and death and make sure everybody has the opportunity to be as healthy as possible. Okay, that's kind of nebulous, but I, I mean, I'm I'm okay with mitigating health inequities. I don't know what that means, but I'm not automatically opposed to it in, as a concept. I just don't know what it means. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. Number three, 
promote justice. All right, I'm out. I'm out. That's okay. I'm out on this one. <laughs> Your ethical principles is to promote justice. No, it's to it's to crank out the vaccines. Treated. Uh, so, I'm sorry. It says treat affected groups, populations and communities fairly. Remove unfair, unjust and avoidable barriers to COVID-19 vaccination. OK, well, I'm actually OK with that description. I don't like promote justice. I don't like that. And maybe that's just my bias because I've been so uh, trained to spot these uh, dog whistles, these buzzwords, the code words of the left. So when you say that, are you just trying to assuage the fears of the left? So they go out and get the vaccine? I, I don't know. And like we promise we're not giving it to rich white people first. And maybe that's what their concern is. They want to try to dispel that idea. So nobody is like, hey, how come that rich white guy got it first? Well, he is a doctor. So we, we're giving it to the doctors first. Maybe that's what they're trying to combat here. Now, um, if you're trying to get your house sold, you do not need to be in combat with your real estate agent. OK, uh, arguing over various you know ways to market it and the price and all of that. Get Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team to work uh, with you and they'll get your house sold quickly and for more money it's what she does she outsells 99 percent of the realtors in north carolina and if you are a healthcare professional not only are you going to get vaccinated first uh, but you also can be part of the homes for heroes program if you're buying or selling a house with rowena and her team because they're the only homes for heroes agents in Asheville. this is a program open to healthcare professionals as well as police officers, firefighters, educators, and members of the military, veterans, active duty, and retirees. And uh, they've given back like $800,000 to local folks because you get to keep 25% from the realtor commissions. So keep your own money. What a great idea. You're welcome. 333-4483, that's the phone number. 333-4483, the website is mountainhomehunt.com, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. What are the other ethical principles? Uh, run through three. Uh, number four, promote transparency. Okay, I'm all right with that as a general concept as well. Good ethical principle. All right. Number f- uh, and then the uh, the final uh, uh, classification or category here is groups considered for early vaccination if supply is limited. Number one, healthcare personnel. Number two, workers in essential and critical industries. So. This is the and the healthcare profession or healthcare personnel as well. This is not strictly limited to just the doctors and the nurses. It's also people who work in the facilities who you know clean or are cleaning up. Like they're going to get vaccinated first because they're going to be around the uh, disease. So you, they're all part of that first wave or two. After that, you got people at high risk for severe COVID-19 illness due to underlying medical conditions. And then the fourth group is people 65 years and older. So those are the four groups in that order. And they're expecting in North Carolina to get these vaccines uh, delivered about every week, I think is what they're looking at. And uh, it should start sometime this month in a couple weeks, like they're thinking December 15th time frame. Uh, and then so the first rounds will start coming out, going into the uh, going to healthcare professionals. Uh, then after that, as I mentioned, uh, goes to the uh, essential and critical industries. And then after that, people who are at high risk. Now, this was an interesting question that was asked at the briefing yesterday. How do you determine that? And do you need like do you need some sort of certification? Like, yes, I am certified to have three comorbidities. Um, one is the obvious. I'm you know, obese, 
which should be obvious to all who look upon me. Uh, and number two, <laughs> and then you got like a card or something. It's like, and I also have, you know, diabetes or, uh, you know, I've got COPD or I've got, I don't know, like any of these other diseases. And you have a card. It's got all of them listed out. Or maybe it's just a number. Like they put it like a number on your arm or something. Oh, that's a bad idea. Let's not do that. Um, but we could have like a way to identify people. No, no, none of that's going to be required in North Carolina. It's just going to be on our system. No doctor's note required. You just walk in and be like, hey, uh, I'm obviously fat. and You don't know me, but I've got, you know, two or three other things going on. Makes me high risk. Give me the shot. So that's the way it's going to it's the way it's going to go in North Carolina at first. So and, and again, we're going to see how this plays out. I, I don't know. Like, I'm not an expert on this, so I'm just kind of watching it like you are. OK. Uh, what else we have? Uh, oh, he then the governor at the briefing, he then introduces Mandy Cohen, who said that our numbers are, quote, worrisome. Too many people, she says, are becoming seriously ill. And we have record levels of hospitalizations in North Carolina now. Uh, this is 2000. We have 2000 people in the hospital right now due to COVID. Sadly, more than 5000 North Carolinians have lost their lives from this virus since our first death in March of March 12th of this year. To give some perspective, just under 1,500 people died from the flu in the past 10 years. In just 11 months, COVID had killed more than three times that number. These are more than trends and numbers. They're real people. With significant community spread across the state, anyone of any age can transmit COVID to someone who is at higher risk for serious illness. That's why our prevention tools, those three W's are so important. Wearing a mask, waiting six feet apart, and washing hands often are proven to help prevent people from getting sick, keep people out of the hospital, and save lives. All right, so <clears throat> two things that I challenge her on. Uh, first, I'll start at the end there, that these these things are proven to save lives. I'm not... I'm not in agreement with that. I hold out the, the potential possibility that it that some of these things do help save lives, but I'm not on board with just a blanket statement that they're proven, that all three W's are proven to save lives and keep people out of the hospital. Because if that were the case, I suspect we would have seen people not being in the hospital right now. Instead, we got a mask mandate, we got social distancing, we've got capacity limits all over the place, we got lockdowns that are still in effect, bars, they're still closed, right? Clubs, they're still closed. So, uh we still have a lot of these things go in place and um the numbers keep going up. So, I'm not I'm not on board with that idea. Now, it's possible, and I've said from the beginning with the masks, they may very well present some sort of uh, benefit. It may be small. It may be large. I don't know. So I'll keep wearing them until I get some sort of like definitive proof where they're like, okay, you know what? None of this actually works. Um, but I haven't seen that. I see competing studies. You know, they say, oh, the masks do work a little bit. The masks work a lot. They're better than a vaccine. And then I see, you know, masks don't work at all. So I I'm unclear. I'm not an expert. I am not equipped to tell you uh, what the truth is, capital T, truth. But I am not on board with her blanket statement. So that's the first thing. The second thing is actually something that is demonstrably and provably false, which is her stats on uh, the flu deaths. I don't know where she got these numbers from. Maybe she misspoke. If I have to guess, I'm thinking that's what might have occurred here. She may have been trying to say 
that the number of flu deaths in 10 years, maybe the average is 1,500, but the flu has killed more than 1,500 people in 10 years in North Carolina. So I'm not sure where she comes up with it. She said, to give some perspective, just under 1,500 people died from the flu in the past 10 years. That's not true. That would mean only 150 people die per year from the flu. That's nuts. That's not, it, it's demonstrably false, okay? Um, because you go onto the CDC website and you can find the deaths. It's actually like 2,000 last year alone. So I don't know where she got the number from. Maybe she meant to say on average it's 15,000 a year per or over the last decade. I don't know. I, I don't know. But here's something. Why are we comparing it to flu? Right. Because I guess it's rapid onset. Is that the idea? it's like it's something that's contagious. You catch it and then you die. Whereas all of the other top killers in this uh, in this state, except for one, uh, they are all sort of chronic diseases that affect people for a long time. The number you know, what the number one killer in North Carolina is cancer. Yeah. Nineteen thousand six seventy one, uh, according to CDC, uh, most recent year available. Oh, so almost so just under 20,000 deaths. Number one is cancer. Number two is heart disease. A little bit behind cancer, about 400 behind cancer, but all, but a little bit more than 19,000 deaths as well. Number three, and then you have a big drop off. So 20,000, 19,000, those are the top two. Number three, accidents. Accidents. So that's something that people don't plan for, right? That's obviously, it's an accident. By definition, people aren't planning for it. So um, that's a rapid onset cause of death, right? You, you, not something that's, you know, like a long-term life affliction. It's just an accident. You're here today and then you're dead. So why not compare it to accidents? Because you know how many people die of accidents every year? 6,000. 6,007. That was the last year. About 6,007 people died of accidents. Um, after that is lower, sorry, chronic lower respiratory disease. That's at 5,360. And then that would basically put COVID right in that same category at 5,000, right? That's where COVID falls. So it's top five. It's it's a rapid onset cause of death, um, not a chronic illness that lasts forever. Although I think people who do get it and then, quote, recover from it, and then they're going to have, you know, long-term COVID um then they will get classified as a COVID death as well. So that number could go above accidents. It, it very well may end up being the number three leading cause of death. Although there's some question about that too and how we're classifying that stuff I'm going to get to. But I don't know, where, all this is to say, I don't know where she got that number. I don't know where she gets this data point. But she says it, and because she's not Donald Trump, everybody's like, ooh, okay, let me regurgitate that. And they run out and promote that data point as if it's true. They do not fact check what she said. I saw it happen yesterday. There were journalists that were promoting that number. They were sending it out as if it's true, and it wasn't. They're not fact-checking this. And there are a number of reasons for that. Number one is they assume she's not going to lie to them. Why would she, right? She's just looking out for us. We're all on the same team. It's a different mindset that they have when they approach coverage of this administration versus, oh, let's just say the Trump administration, right? It's just a different approach. They have a different set of underlying assumptions that bias their attitudes, which in turn bias their reporting. Now, I admit, I am biased. 
towards general equipment rental. I love this uh, company. I love this family over there. They do a great job for people. For they, did you know they own AB Emblem as well? Anyway, uh, I know I've, I've said too much, but they uh, no, they're great people, and the business over there is fantastic. You can get uh, any kind of tool that you need to get the job done correctly. Having the right tool for a job is huge. If you don't have the right tool for a job, it's going to take you way longer, and you're probably going to mess it up. Trust me, been there, done that, and done that, and done it, and done it again, and done it again, and done it again. I made a lot of mistakes in my life when it comes to (laughs) trying to do things without the proper tool. That's why once I figured this out, this is like life lesson, hugely important life lesson. Use the right tool for the job. And you get the right tool for any job at General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family owned and operated for three generations. Great people, great service, and great tools. By the way, they're also your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. So, uh, And they also do, by the way, equipment service and repair. So, uh, you know, they do it all. You got equipment. You need equipment. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. And when you go in there, tell them you heard it here on the show. Support the businesses that support the show. I appreciate that. GeneralRents.com. Think outside your toolbox. So uh, the reporters, then they get their chance. I'm not going to run through all of the questions because they were basically all kind of worthless. But, uh, well, you know what? Here, I have them written down. Yeah, because I live tweet, and so I just <clears throat> I just have I keep a running list of the reporter questions as this occurs. So uh, the first one is, will you put new restrictions in place within the next week? So again, with this question, I don't understand why media keep asking this same question in all of its different forms. They're just constantly looking to get the governor to to promise that he's going to shut more stuff down, that we're going backwards. I'm going to drop the hammer on even more people and industries. I don't get it. Well, I well, actually, I do get it. It's what media does. It's what media does. This is who they are. Um, they are constantly looking for the most negative way to hype a story to get eyeballs and, and make it seem important. I've told this story before. I will tell it again because it is a perfect encapsulation of all the problems or a lot of the problems with media in that I go out to cover a story. My boss tells me, hey, we want you to uh, do your story, but don't lock it out. You know, don't say, you know, Pete Callender here and back to you or whatever. Like, doesn't say, doesn't say lock it out. Say, finish your story and then just give the name of the anchor. So, you know, Joe. And then Joe will ask me a question and then I will answer that question. Well, what question does Joe ask? Well, it's a question that I wrote for Joe. So now I'm supposed to give a report, then write a question, and then write the answer. And then I give my lockout. Pete Callender for the Pete Callender Show, live on scene, you know, whatever. And uh, why do you do that? And I had this, and, and I asked the boss, I said, why am I doing this? And they said, it just makes the story sound bigger. That's what he said. Makes the story sound bigger. There's another concept, because by the way, there's no reason to ask a question of your reporter. Either the reporter did not give you all the information required for you to be informed, and so the reporter screwed up, or the anchor isn't paying attention and uh, didn't hear some information that the reporter may have given in the report, and that's that's not good for the anchor to divulge. So there's really no good way, there's no point to it except, as the boss said, to make the story sound bigger. And that's a problem because if you can't trust the reporter and the anchor and the news organization to accurately convey the size of the story, 
then how do you know they're accurately conveying, well, anything at that point, right? So they're they're trying to convey that these stories are like super, super important. You're going to die if you don't listen to this report. Details coming up in two hours. Like they're really like, that's how important the information is. Like you need to tune in two hours from now or you will die. That's the way everything is framed. Um, rumor last week uh, was that the governor was also considering a 9 p.m. curfew. So one of the reporters asked that, you know, there's a rumor you're considering a curfew. Is that true? The governor said, well, look at all options. All options are on the table. Once again, this forward looking speculative kind of question. Oh, tell us it's going to get worse. Tell us it's going to get worse. Please. Oh, please tell us it's going to get worse. We have listeners and viewers and readers to scare. Give me the scare quote. Will teachers, staff and first responders get first priority to get the vaccine? That was a question from a reporter who then actually asked a follow up of the same question because they were apparently unsatisfied with the answer that was given, which was, yeah, we already laid all of that out. See our earlier comments from like five minutes ago when we said all of this. And also you can go to the website and see the whole list of uh, like I just did. Right. You can go to the website. But the reporter asked the question, like, what about the teachers? And she didn't get satisfaction out of the answer. So she asked as a follow up, basically the same question. And they're like, uh, no, it's you know, it's in the list that we just gave. Then there was a question about uh, Pitt County uh, politicization. Has it declined? Um, uh, and then are you worried that you might be overstating the effectiveness of the vaccine? That's hilarious. Like the governor, you think the governor is overstating the effectiveness of the vaccine. The thing is like 90, 95%, depending on which one, they're like 90, 95% effective according to the studies that have that I've seen. So you think he's you think he's overselling, he's overestimating the effectiveness of the vaccine. So on that, you you challenge the governor. We finally found an area of the science that a reporter is expressing some mild skepticism, a wee bit of a challenge. Are you sure it's as effective as you think it is, Governor? Why, yes, it is. I think it's super effective. Like that was the that's the closest you get to a challenge to this governor from this press corps. Uh, then he was asked why Pfizer for North Carolina, and basically uh, that's the one that requested authorization. I don't know. He didn't really answer it. Um, Forsyth County. Uh, there's somebody asking questions about the discrepancy between the local data and the state data, and they had no good answer for that. Uh, will the doses arrive by Thanksgiving? That was one question. I'm not kidding. I think the reporter meant to say Christmas. Um, and then will the mask mandate be relaxed? And uh, no, they said it's not going to get relaxed it's because not until people are all vaccinate until there's all these va until enough vaccinations have occurred now that's all well and good they can say that but i think once the vaccines start going out i think people will just start abandoning the masks on their own um and then the final uh, reporter question was who establishes the comorbidities and that was when uh, he said you know you're not going to need a doctor's note so uh that so that was the covid briefing from yesterday now uh what was not asked uh johns hopkins put out a study but then they took it back. And the study found that COVID-19 has, quote, relatively no effect on deaths in the United States. They took it down, according to Johns Hopkins, they took it down because um, it was being used to support false and dangerous inaccuracies about the impact of the pandemic. <laughs> 
So we don't need people to have access to this information because having the information gives them access to information that undermines the uh, severity of the pandemic or something. So more information undermines the severity of the... Do you guys realize what you're saying there, right? Like, oh, well, we put this report out there, and now people are using it to undermine the severity of the pandemic. Like, well, is the information accurate? If it is, then wouldn't the information be the thing undermining the severity of the pandemic? Like, what am I missing here? Oh, you just don't like the fact that conservatives and people who are like, it's a scamdemic, it's a plandemic. Like, you, you don't like that those people are citing your research. Even though you stand by the research, you don't like who's using it. <laughs> well, what does the research show? Why don't we just let the science stand or fall on its own? This is from Matt Margolis. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot where this came from. Did this come from... I forget. It, I think it may have... I think this comes from Zero Hedge. Anyway... Uh, conventional wisdom is that COVID-19 has caused thousands of deaths in the United States and nearly one and a half million worldwide. This perception has been directly challenged by a study published by Johns Hopkins on November 22nd. Genevieve Briand, assistant program director of the Applied Economics Master's Degree Program at Johns Hopkins University, critically analyzed the impact that COVID-19 had on U.S. deaths. And according to Briand, the impact of COVID-19 on deaths can be fully understood by comparing it to the number of total deaths in the country. This makes sense. To me, this makes sense. If, you know, every single year a certain number of Americans die, then, like, my assumption would be that there would be an increase in that number, the total number of deaths. Don't you think so, too? Right? If you got COVID is a new, you know, lethal uh, factor into the uh, equation here, then it seems like the number of total deaths would rise. Okay. According to the study, in contrast to most people's assumption, the number of deaths by COVID-19 is not alarming. This is a direct quote from the study, is not alarming. In fact, it has relatively no effect on deaths in the United States. Come again? The number hasn't gone up. Well, that's kind of amazing. Like my mattress from Mattress Man, it's amazing. And I think you will agree. Not that I want you sleeping on my mattress. I'm just saying you can go get a mattress from Mattress Man as well, and you can experience the difference as well. Get yourself a new mattress. Treat yourself. Uh, you've made it through 2020. Well, almost. You're going to make it through 2020. So reward yourself for surviving this terrible, awful year with a new mattress. And if the lockdowns uh, and the, the, the quarantining and the social distancing and all that hasn't taught you the, uh, the importance of having a really comfortable bed to ride out this storm on, then um, I don't know what to tell you. You need a new mattress. Go to Mattress Man. They got four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide, so you can get your mattress online at mattressmanstores.com. They have triple zero financing, so this is zero down, zero interest for two years zero payments for 90 days. They have a free box spring when you buy a Biltmore mattress. These are awesome mattresses. They're at the Biltmore uh, Hotel and Inn on their uh, on their grounds there. Uh, you can also score a free adjustable base with the purchase of other select mattresses. So uh, go to mattressmanstores.com, check out the inventory, or go to any of their 
four locations. They have five-star local delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. Mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. So this is what the study from Johns Hopkins says, um, that there's relatively no effect on deaths in the United States from COVID. That's what it says. And it's not really a surprise then that the study got deleted (laughs) almost immediately. Um, After retrieving data on the CDC website, Breanne uh, compiled a graph representing percentages of total deaths per age category from early February to early September, which includes the period from, you know, before COVID was detected um, in the United States to after infection rates soared. Surprisingly, the deaths of older people, what do you think happened to the deaths of older? Well, I kind of gave it away earlier. It stayed the same. It stayed the same before and after COVID-19. Since COVID-19 mainly affects the elderly, everybody kind of expected an increase in the percentage of deaths in older age groups, right? You'd have way more old people dying from COVID-19, but this increase is not actually seen from the CDC data. In fact, the percentages of deaths among all age groups is about the same. It's, it's remained relatively the same. And according to the study's author, the reason, there's a quote, the reason we have a higher number of reported COVID-19 deaths among older individuals than younger individuals is simply because every day in the United States, older individuals die in higher numbers than younger individuals. That makes sense, doesn't it? Deaths per causes. What did I just go over from the CDC numbers um, on North Carolina, right? Deaths per causes. Look at the causes of deaths. In 2018, this is the most recently, you know, full uh, data set that we have. uh, Causes per death revealed in 2018 revealed the pattern of seasonal increase in the total number of deaths is a result of the rise in deaths by all causes, with the top three being heart disease, respiratory diseases, and influenza and pneumonia. They lumped those two together, influenza and pneumonia. So seasonality, colder weather, right? These deaths uh, go up, particularly in older people. Seasonal ups and downs have an increase uh, of deaths due to all causes. So seasonality explains the rising death counts in America even before COVID, just in general, okay? Uh, Sudden declines in death is also observed for all other causes. Huh, that's an interesting side effect. Apparently, COVID has cured a lot of other diseases because people aren't dying from them now. Isn't that weird? The total decrease in deaths by other causes almost exactly equals the increase in deaths by COVID-19. What is going on? What is happening? Why is that data showing us that? But instead of examining this, what do we get, right? We get Johns Hopkins taking down the article, taking down the research because we don't like the way some people are using it. How are they using it? Are they examining it or they're saying, or they're promoting it? I know, I mean, I'm asking the question, but I know it, you know it, right? They're promoting this, this study as proof that it's all a scam, that it was never real. I am not of that camp, by the way. I believe that COVID-19 exists. Until somebody shows me otherwise, I believe it exists because 
there are scientists that are even anti-lockdown folks that are anti-mask scientists, but even they say it's real. So it is real and uh, it is killing people. So uh, like, I don't deny any of that. What I am curious about is what are the trade-offs that, that we have allowed very few elected leaders to make on our behalf? What, what are these impacts? She concludes, by the way, the author of this study concludes that the COVID-19 death toll in America is misleading and that deaths from other diseases are being categorized as COVID-19 deaths. Now, we have heard about this for months, right? Died from COVID versus died with COVID. This is a pretty important question. And not for nothing, all of the folks that are like, you know, you deniers are getting people killed. If you want people to believe you have credibility on this stuff and you want to eliminate their uh, their concerns and questions, then you should address why this is happening. The answer is to answer the question. The answer is not to silence the questioner. That's that's actually a pretty good indication that you are ill-equipped or unable to answer the question, which then gives rise to a whole host of other questions about why you're doing it. And now people are assuming motives. And when people start projecting motives upon you, you're not going to like the way that turns out. Okay. As somebody who's right of center, trust me, that's been going on against the right for a very long time, decades, the assumption of motives. And then from there, all decisions and all uh, accusations come. Uh, and so when they're like, well, you're a right winger, so you must be a bigot. Therefore, I can, you know, walk up to you and punch you in the street. Like, that's where you go from here. So if you're not willing to address these types of questions, then you're going to prompt people to ask why. Why are you shutting this stuff down? I, I, I don't have a good answer for that. Not, and Johns Hopkins doesn't have a good answer for it either. So we'll uh, monitor that. Uh, then there's this from, do, 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 well, wait a minute. Maybe this one is, oh, this is Powerline blog. Thank you to Ron who sent this to me. Um, this is by John Hindraker. Why is all COVID news bad? This is a great question. Why is all the news bad? <laughs> uh, and I've kind of gone over this a little bit. It's because it's media. That's what media does. Media gonna media. That that's uh, that's what news people do. Um, that you know, there's not a lot of uh, audience interest or newsroom interest in telling people that you know only good things happen today. You know, peace breaks out. <laughs> well, look at the way nobody covered any of the, the positive developments uh, with the Middle East stuff. Well, no, that's probably because it's Trump. Um, although, I, I, I don't know. I, I suspect there would be a little bit more coverage of that. But look, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. If it's sex, it's next. That's that's the old motto. And there's a reason it exists. OK, there's a reason these stereotypes about media exist. The, the, you know, hundreds of years ago, they didn't pay some kid to stand on the corner screaming headlines that was like, you know, nothing new happened today. Everybody's fine. No bad things happen like they weren't paying kids to scream that. <laughs> um Three professors, though, from uh, two from Dartmouth, one from Brown University, have produced a paper for the National Bureau of Economic Research titled Why is all COVID-19 news bad news? And it focuses on the U.S. press and its findings are disturbing. Here's what it says, quote, 91 percent of stories by U.S. major media outlets are negative in tone versus 54 percent for non-U.S. major sources and 65 percent 
for scientific journals. So that's the breakdown. You go overseas and you get 54% negative stories. So 46% positive or I guess neutral. Uh, You go to the scientific journals and it's 65% negative. You look at U.S. media, the major media outlets, it's 91% negative. The negativity of the U.S. major media is notable even in areas with positive scientific developments, including school reopenings and vaccine trials. So even when the news is by default good, it's, it's always framed in a negative way. Media negativity is unresponsive to changing trends in new COVID-19 cases or the political leanings of the audience. What does that mean? It doesn't matter what news outlet you're watching. Conservative, liberal, doesn't matter. It's all negative all the time. And it doesn't matter if the story is positive. They spin it in a negative way 91% of the time. That is, that's insane. And is it any wonder why people are, you know, losing their minds here on some of this stuff? Why people think that they're just, you know, constantly living in this big ball of negativity? Like, they are. They kind of are. Not kind of. I mean, if you're consuming media, you most definitely are. Okay. Now, if you most definitely are looking for real U.S. military surplus, then you most definitely need to go to Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde. Um, First aid kits. This is a great idea for a gift for the hard-to-find person or family instead of something like, you know, a basket of soaps or jams or something. A first aid kit is something that everyone actually needs around the house, okay? The best time to, you know, prepare this kind of a kit is before you need it. Trust me. Um, Also, he's got some limited edition survival outdoor kits. These are on the website as a Christmas special featuring high quality Swedish made Mora knives, fire starters, canteens, compasses and more. And it all packs into your choice of either an ammo can or a pretty nice shoulder bag. It's actually a repurposed Finnish army gas mask bag. So uh, it's kind of cool. And you can uh, the kit. You know, it starts off your if you're trying to build up, you know, emergency supplies and stuff. It's a good way to start uh, building, you know, your your supply. But if you're not even doing that, this is just a great kit to have if you go out camping or hiking or something. It's a great kit to have. You got all the necessities right there in case God forbid you need it. So go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus downtown Clyde on Main Street. The shop is open Monday through Saturday across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. Back to this article from Powerline blog by John Hinderaker. The estimated probability that a COVID-19 article in America is negative varies from 70% to 100%. (laughs) That's, wow, the estimated probability is 70 to 100%. This is among major U.S. outlets. These probabilities are not correlated with the likelihood that conservative consumers of news trust the source. COVID-19 stories from Fox News are about as negative as those from CNN. Uh, Later on, uh, the study says potentially positive developments such as vaccine stories get less attention from U.S. outlets than do negative stories about Trump and hydroxychloroquine. (gasps) No way, really? Gosh, who could have thought that was possible. One of the U.S. media's prime goals has been to discourage anybody from prescribing or taking hydroxychloroquine. In fact, the press's crusade has been successful. For better or worse, it's been successful. 
The terms Trump and hydroxychloroquine receive more coverage than do all stories about companies and researchers developing vaccines. This is why, by the way, if, if you're in media, and I know probably a lot of them don't listen to the show, if they ever did, they don't anymore, maybe, I don't know. But this is why so many people think you're garbage. Because when you spend more time, you know, attacking Trump and hydroxychloroquine than you do on the actual vaccine development, uh, that, that means you're garbage. And I have said from the very beginning, I had arguments with people of the left in all throughout this pandemic about hydroxychloroquine and zinc and vitamin D, like all this stuff. Um, are we practicing battlefield medicine or are we not? You don't get to tell me that this is serious and people are dying and then say, but don't take that. Oh, no, no, don't try that. Like, it's either serious, people are dying and we're trying to do the best we can and we're, we're throwing everything we can at the at the virus to try to save as many lives as possible or none of that's true. And the people who are telling me that it's true are acting like it's not. Again, it undermines your credibility. And now people start wondering, why would you not want us to try hydroxychloroquine and zinc? And there's another another, uh, uh, third drug in that cocktail. Like, I I, I don't know, except it's Trump. The uh, this paper, uh, this research suggests that the pessimism of major news outlets is a response to Reader demand. U.S. readers want negative stories, as evidenced by article popularity. So it, this is what uh, John Hindraker says. So it may be that most Americans are behaving like sheep, primarily because they are, in fact, sheep. There you go. Uh, that's a wrap for this episode. I appreciate you listening. Thanks for hanging out. Please subscribe to the podcast. It's the best way you can help support the show. And uh, think about becoming a patron as well. Get exclusive content and get some cool stuff. Got a a gift going out before the end of the year as well. Thanks so much for listening and the support. We'll talk with you later and don't break anything while I'm gone. 